with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It is the Thursday edition, and coming up at the bottom of the hour, Trudy Clausen will be in talking about Youth for Christ. She'll have a guest in to talk about that. But to start today's program, it is yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. Hi, I'm Jamie Poisson. Just last Thursday, we did an episode on the show about the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. But even just since then, the picture has really changed in Canada. The decision to limit people's ability to gather, especially during holidays, is an extremely, extremely difficult one to make. This is unbelievable. And I'm warning you. I'm warning all the Quebecers. This is, of course, not where we want to be. Barely two weeks after the first cases of Omicron were identified in Ontario, it became the dominant strain in the province. And experts say that's about to be the case across the entire country. Because it is so uh, highly transmissible, it can creep up on you really fast. We do have something coming uh, and uh, we really have to uh, prepare for it. Right now, Canada is reporting some of the highest daily new case counts we've seen in the whole pandemic. The last couple days, we've logged more than 10,000 cases a day, including many who are fully vaccinated. And many doctors say the real number could be up to several times higher than that because it's so hard to even access tests right now. I was expecting a lineup, but not like this. We're going to be chasing kits all over the place because they're hot. People want them. And of course, this is all happening at the height of the holiday season. And a lot of us are wondering how to see our loved ones while still protecting them from this new version of the virus. We can't make that decision for you, but we can tell you about what the latest research from around the world tells us about Omicron. And as you're thinking about your holiday plans, how that info might help inform the choices that you make. Today, I'm unpacking some of that research with Dr. Zane Chagla, an infectious diseases physician at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton. Hi, Dr. Chagla. Thank you so much for, for making the time today. I know that you are very busy, so we really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. So so firstly, you were on the show three weeks ago, just after the first cases of Omicron had been identified in Canada. And and what has been most striking to you as you've watched the variants spread here since then? Yeah, I mean, the growth has been uh, uh, nothing we've ever seen before. Federal modeling predicted that if Omicron took hold, we could see an average of 7,000 new cases a day by around New Year's Eve. Well, that turned out to be conservative. We are already at more than 8,100 a day. The curve pointing almost straight up. You know, when Alpha and Delta came into Canada, it took some time for it to become the dominant variant. They became and established themselves. Um, But, you know, that process took weeks uh, from, you know, uh, a couple of months by the time we started seeing the first cases to when, when these established. This variant essentially just showed up and and spread so rapidly that within days, you know, really two weeks, we saw this become the dominant variant. And, and, you know, now speaking, it's likely most cases in the province are Omicron until proven otherwise. Uh, And yeah, it's remarkable to see that happen, considering uh, how recently we just talked about this showing up in Canada and Ontario and how 
fast it spread into a region. What does the the research from from around the world, countries that I guess are further ahead on this than us, tell us about why Omicron seems to spread so much more quickly than other variants? Yeah, there's a few basic science things and, you know, obviously population based uh, pieces. So from the basic science standpoint, you know, we are seeing uh, uh, cases with uh, levels that are much higher in airways, uh, in, in animal and cell models, uh, than we saw in, in Delta. So the viral loads of people does, do still seem to be higher than Delta, which already had a high viral load in that sense. The replication in, in, in bronchial tissue or kind of the airway tissue, uh, is much higher than was seen with, with Delta. But number two is also the population basis. And, and again, you know, that, the, the fact that this is now something that can spread in both vaccinated, unvaccinated populations and populations with prior infections, you essentially opened a new pool again, basically, of susceptible individuals. And the combination of the two, you know, high viral loads, rapid spread with a reproductive rate of three or four and mm-hmm. a large pool for those folks to be infected, you know, really makes it become dominant very quickly. that it's obviously that it's spreading faster for all the reasons you just mentioned. There's like a bigger pool of people because it can break through vaccines that, uh, you know, research shows that it's replicating faster in, in our bodies. Um, but, but let's talk about vaccines for, for a minute here, because there is this kind of wild case study out of Oslo, Norway, where like 111 people who went to a Christmas party at a restaurant, uh, and then, and then 80 of them ended up testing positive, pro- probably with Omicron. And the vast majority of them were double vaxxed with an mRNA vaccine. What is the research showing us at this point about how well two vaccine doses protects against symptomatic Omicron cases? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that was one of the first indications that, you know, this can spread really fast, really quickly. And in that Oslo gathering, there are a few people that had returned from travel. And, and again, that probably just set up the storm of all those people getting infected at once. Um, we are seeing a couple of data sets, one from uh, uh, the United Kingdom, where they've looked at their cases and kind of modeled out efficacy based on that in unvaccinated populations. Uh, and, you know, again, two mRNA vaccines are probably in the range of 30 to 40 percent protection from symptomatic COVID-19, not necessarily hospitalization severe cases, but just getting COVID-19. Uh, and similarly, a big a private insurer in South Africa at the epicenter, uh, you know, similar 30 to 40 percent protection from uh, uh, symptomatic disease from two doses of mRNA vaccine. So it's not nothing. There, there, there definitely is a protection there. Um, but, you know, certainly there isn't, you know, as robust as we saw with the 90, 95% when these vaccines were first released. What about three doses? Yeah, the, the UK does have a little bit of data around three doses and three doses, including one mRNA after two doses of AstraZeneca or one dose of mRNA after two doses of mRNA vaccine. Where within a month of that, you know, the, the efficacy goes back to about 75%. So, you know, there is some data here to suggest boosters would reduce symptomatic COVID-19 amongst people that get them. And that really is in, 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 uh, in parallel to a number of neutralization studies. So lab studies looking at uh, antibody levels after a booster. And, and again, similar to kind of that two dose series 
initially against Delta that we're seeing is a three dose series against Omicron. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I guess pretty good message there to, uh, get yourself a booster shot if you can get your hands on one right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that's probably the biggest intervention here. Toronto Mayor John Tory says city vaccine clinics have tripled their capacity in a month and are pledging to continue ramping up. All governments are working together to help people get through this and to help make sure that that capacity gets expanded. Still, the booster rollout isn't exactly going at the speed promised by Premier Doug Ford last week. The best defense is a lightning fast offense. So let's talk about severity now, because I think this is a pretty important question that a lot of people have. And so we've been hearing lots uh, that Omicron seems to be milder than other variants. But when I look at these studies coming out of these different countries, the picture does seem quite confusing to me. So generally, what does the research say so far about the disease severity from Omicron? Yeah, and, and, you know, the confusing nature, is, as you talked about, is from a number of different things. Looking at the South African data set uh, from the Discovery Network, which was the one that looked at this, um, they saw a 70% reduction in hospitalization amongst people who got two doses of a, an mRNA vaccine. Now, mm-hmm. it's not it's not perfectly distributed, right? We know that 70 and 80-year-olds are the ones that make lower immune responses and are at the ones at the highest risk of hospitalization. And so there is that little bit of imbalance. The other issue with the South African data set is the comparator group, the unvaccinated, we know in places like South Africa are also naturally immune because a lot of people got COVID-19 in the first two waves. Mm. And so, you know, again, if your comparator has some protection against hospitalization, it falsely makes your vaccine look less effective in that sense. So they're a little bit unclear in that sense. We're looking at Danish data uh, and, you know, the today's report, which is still early, suggests about a 1.4% hospitalization rate amongst people who had Delta versus a 0.5% hospitalization rate amongst those who got Omicron. So, you know, these are early signs. They may not be perfect to kind of declare that it's mild altogether, but there is starting to emerge a number of data sets in both South Africa and in Europe that might suggest that this is, you know, maybe milder. And again, not necessarily the disease has gotten milder, but the hosts are, are much more attuned and, and are ready to deal with COVID-19 if it comes into their systems, meaning less hospitalizations and deaths. That is part one of yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. Part two coming up in a moment here on 93.1 CFIS FM. You're listening to After Nine. There's a river of birds in migration. A nation of women with wings. Wings, a series of news and current affairs programs by and about women around the world. Produced and distributed by the Women's International News Gathering Service. Listen for Wings Wednesday nights at 8.30 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. 2021 has definitely been a year of changes, but the love and joy we carry in our hearts cannot be changed. 
This holiday season, remember those who make the holidays meaningful and be grateful for the time spent with them. Time that creates the longest memories and warmest feelings. From our families at Timberline Footfitters to yours, we wish you all the love and happiness this season can bring. And may it follow you throughout the coming year. Timberline Footfitters is family owned and located beside Wendy's on Victoria Street. Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services from part dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture Center in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250-562-6638. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with wind up to 15K. A high of minus 16, a wind chill to minus 20 with a risk of frostbite. Partly cloudy tonight, wind up to 15K. A low of minus 23 with a wind chill to minus 32 and a risk of frostbite. For Friday, sunny, wind from the north at 30 gusting to 50. A high of minus 19 with a wind chill to minus 35 and a risk of frostbite. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And here is part two of yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. There's this really interesting study out of a lab in Hong Kong that, that found something that seemed to, to possibly suggest one reason why Omicron symptoms may be less severe. And I wonder if you could tell me about that experiment and what, and what they found. So, you know, one study in Hong Kong that actually was the first study that talked about Delta being such a high viral load, uh, looked at kind of their Delta data and compared it to Omicron data and saw, you know, replication in the upper airways, the bronchi being very high and 70 times higher than Delta. But replication in the lower airways, the lungs, where we see pneumonia and those complications from, from hospitalization and ICU stays, being much less than Delta. And, and mm. so, you know, again, that picture of maybe this is more of an upper respiratory tract infection as compared to a lower respiratory tract infection. Right, right. So the fact that it replicates so much faster explains, as we talked before, why it's spreading faster. But the fact that it doesn't, you know, get into, well, it looks like it doesn't get into your lungs as, as much as the other one uh, could, or the other uh, iterations of, of COVID could explain why it's not as as severe. Exactly. I, I guess either way, though, uh, because this is spreading so much quicker, if a ton of people are getting sick, even if the majority are milder, our odds are that there will still be more pressure on hospitals, right? Is, is this sort of part part yeah. of the, the concern here? Basically, that the small proportion of a very large number is still a large number. Yeah, there's, there's obviously mechanistics, you know, that, that suggests maybe it's milder, but you know, again, as you said, a small number of a large number is still a, a relatively large number. It may not be as catastrophic as, you know, Delta or, or Alpha when it came to our population that was relatively naive from an immunologic standpoint. Um, but you know, enough to put pressures on a system that's already pressured. The other thing I would say is, you know, there are still a lot of vulnerable people who have very compromised immune systems. And we know those people, even with mild infections, can often have prolonged and difficult and hard to treat presentations. And so, you know, there is enough of them that just became unlocked here with uh, with Omicron that, uh, you know, that could also put strain on the system as well. Is 
research on um, how this is affecting children? Is it, is it more severe in, in children? Yeah, so not a lot that has come out. Um, you know, there is a theoretical risk if we have more upper respiratory symptoms. Those tend to actually affect children more disproportionately than adults because their respiratory tracts are less developed. There was a lot of children initially admitted in South Africa relative, but it wasn't clear necessarily if that was just the tip of the iceberg because there was just so much transmission in South Africa that they saw that as as things have gone on, there are actually relatively less children being admitted as many of the adults are being admitted uh, in that context. So there, you know, we're waiting for places like Denmark and the United Kingdom who have good surveillance networks to kind of give us the, the better sense of what this means for our children moving forward. Right. Okay. I want to talk about testing Omicron now. I, I've read that the incubation period, the, like the period between when you're exposed and when you get symptoms might be shorter for Omicron. And I've seen some speculation that that could make it trickier to detect through testing. And so what kind of research is there around that? Yeah, so, you know, absolutely. The, 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 the issue, I think, comes to the fact that you have to diagnose people early for things like case and contact management to be involved. But there's a lot of issues here. You know, first of all, people have to test very early into their symptom complex. And again, within that two to three days, we know people are transmissible even before their symptoms develop. You know, the, the die may have been cast for one or two generations already, even if someone gets tested right on, on time uh, to prevent them from having infection. And, you know, the, the Oslo example, for example, they did rapid tests the day prior to that gathering. Not perfect. But, you know, at least had proven the night before that everyone didn't have active COVID-19, uh, which is, you know, again, remarkable considering nearly all of them got it at that gap. So, you know, again, the timing of testing may not be enough to identify the appropriate cases and, and slow down transmission in that sense. And then number two, look, from a practical standpoint, if this rips through a population, if the numbers are so high with a limited access to testing and, and limited resources in testing, you're going to overwhelm the system with the amount of people coming forward to need to get tested, which means that there's delays, which means there's even more transmission by the time that mm. people are able to access the test. And all of a sudden, yeah, you have three or four generations by the time you figure out someone had COVID. For for people, and I realize I'm, say, I'm saying this, we're kind of in a real Hunger Games mentality uh, right now to get them. But for people who do have access to rapid tests, when should they be taking them to get the most helpful results? Yeah. So first of all, if you have zero access to PCR tests in your community and you have symptoms, doing a rapid test may not be perfect. But if you get a positive result, it probably means that you have COVID and can consider yourself infectious to others at that point. Number two, um, if you're going to use a rapid test as a um, preventing transmission during a gathering or seeing a vulnerable person and using it as an extra barrier, do it as close as you can to the event, literally minutes before, because you're going to get as much sensitivity as you can out of them. I want to keep talking a little bit about sort of the practical things that that people should do here and what they could take from from all of this. So obviously, we are a few days out from Christmas here. Uh, a lot of people, whether they celebrate Christmas or not, probably have a lot of holiday plans over the next couple of weeks. So I know there are no simple answers here, but equipped with the information we've just been talking about, 
what do you think people should be keeping in mind as they make their decisions? Yeah. Number one, you know, the odds of someone walking into your gathering, especially as it gets larger and larger, uh, is higher and higher that someone has COVID at the time and could be infectious to others. And so, you know, keeping numbers small is important because it mitigates some of that, that, that effect. Number two, you know, doing a rapid test, if you have a limited number, use them in the people that have the highest contacts to society. So kids in school, children in daycare, people who work in hospitals, et cetera, where, or people who are essential workers, where they're probably the highest risk if you have a limited amount. Thirdly, you know, again, make sure the people at that don't come with minor symptoms and be very mm-hmm. clear, you know, be flexible, let, you know, reschedule, do things. You don't want a chance that if people have a headache and a sore throat, but say they're fine, you don't want to be going back and say, actually, that person had COVID and everyone else has COVID at that point. Yeah. Um, I think the people that are vulnerable, particularly those who are immunocompromised, elderly, make sure that they have access to a booster. And again, if you can't achieve these, you're feeling nervous, there's, you know, issues, then then don't necessarily, you know, say that you have to have the traditional family dinner, open the windows, go outside. I heard about someone whose very elderly parents still want to meet. So they, they're having pizza in their garage with the doors open, basically, you know, mm. I think there are ways to say, okay, this may not be perfect. Maybe we add more mitigations in place so that we can gather in a small number, but use things like ventilation or masking to really aggressively reduce the risk further. I wonder what you might say to somebody who's planning on attending or or is having a gathering where there aren't people thought of as vulnerable there. Like there isn't anybody over 70 there and everybody is vaccinated. uh, And some people might even have boosters. And so maybe they're just thinking to themselves, well, everyone will be fine even if a bunch yeah. of us get get om- omicron anyways look you know th- there are two sides of the coin to this you know there is the vulnerable people and, and those people probably should be concerned about if they eventually have to interact with vulnerable people to make sure again that they're they're symptomatically well that they're testing appropriately but number two you know there the other side of the coin here is that you know that a fully vaccinated 20-year-old may not face the, the same risks from this as a fully vaccinated 80-year-old. And that Omicron is here to stay. And and so, you know, I think people are in a mentality if we lock down or if we close down harder, you know, this is going to go away. It's not. This virus has made itself the fittest virus on our soil. And so, yes, maybe it's not Christmas that you get exposed, but it's New Year's or a week later or a week after that, especially as the community activity ramps up. Uh, And so, you know, it it does get to be a little bit difficult to start saying you need to restrict this for this particular day. But then the next day and the next day after that, you know, you're going to be at risk in that sense. So I Mm -hmm. think, you know, the long term here is people need to make these risk assessments. So basically, would your overall takeaway here be something like be safe, try to reduce risk for yourself and those around you, but... We eventually have to learn to live with this thing. We can't be hermits for the rest of our lives. So get your booster as as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, mitigate spread. But unfortunately, this one is, is getting out of our hands in terms of how much we can control it. And uh, again, people have to be prepared that they may acquire COVID-19 in, in the next few weeks. Okay, Dr. Chagla, thank you so much for this. Thank you. No worries. All the best. So 
a few Omicron-themed updates before we go today. Yesterday, the city of Montreal declared a new state of emergency in an effort to curb the spread of the variant. The same day, Quebec's provincial health authority announced that Omicron now accounts for 80% of COVID cases in the province. Meanwhile, BC announced new restrictions, including shutting down bars, nightclubs, and gyms, and banning gatherings like weddings. Officials also said the province will be canceling scheduled non-emergency surgeries as of January 4th to manage hospital capacity. And the NHL has reportedly decided not to send its players to Beijing to compete in the Winter Olympics because of COVID concerns. That's all for today. If you've got a moment to rate and review our podcast, we'd really appreciate it. I'm Jamie Poisson. Thanks so much for listening to Front Burner and stay safe out there. On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is yesterday morning's Front Burner from CBC News. You can also catch Front Burner on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Make sure you're listening tonight at 11 for this morning's Front Burner from CBC News. They'll be talking about the tragic death of a volunteer down in Vancouver. When After 9 resumes, it is Trudy Clausen and her guest talking about Youth for Christ. OceanWise is currently hiring for a number of great positions. Their mission is to inspire the global community to increase its understanding, wonder, and appreciation for our oceans. It's work that matters with an organization focused on protecting and restoring the world's oceans, which in turn helps keep our planet alive. To learn more about OceanWise, visit ocean.org. To check out the incredible career opportunities currently available, click on the careers link on the drop-down menu at ocean.org. The Salvation Army has launched a massive emergency response effort to help victims of the worst B.C. flooding in recent history. Emergency units are on the ground in six of the hardest-hit communities, providing food, hydration, shelter, clothing, and blankets to first responders, evacuees, and flood victims. The Salvation Army also has launched an emergency flood relief appeal. Help out by making a safe and secure donation at SalvationArmy.ca slash B.C. Flood or by calling 1-800-SALARMY. The Prince George Council of Seniors needs drivers for their Meals on Wheels program. Drivers are needed one per week from about 10.30 to noon to deliver hot meals to homebound clients. To volunteer, you must be double vaccinated for COVID, have friendly manners, a valid driver's license, a reliable vehicle, and go through a criminal record check. For, for more information or to volunteer for Meals on Wheels program, email nicole.pgcos at gmail.com. We've all heard that planting trees can save the world, but did you know that seaweed is one of nature's superheroes fighting against climate change? Seaweed can sequester more carbon per square kilometer than a forest ecosystem. OceanWise is beginning to restore seaweed forest in B.C. and Chile by working with local institutions, indigenous people, and companies to explore this slimy but charismatic solution. Your gift of $42 will result in 100 new kelp plants. Help OceanWise restore kelp forest today by visiting ocean.org. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Uh, here we are, December 23rd on CFIS 93.1 with After 9. And I'm very pleased today to have as my guest Josiah Barton from Youth for Christ. Good morning, Josiah. Well, good morning, Trudy. So, Josiah, um, first I'll begin by... Uh, just asking, what brought you to Prince George? How long have you been here? And, yeah. 
Oh, well, let's see. Uh, what brought me to Prince George was I met my wife in college. We were engaged uh, towards our end of time at college, and she's from Prince George, and I was from Peace Country area, oh. Chetwin, Dawson Creek, Fort St. John area. Oh. And I was tired of being up in the Peace Country, and I wanted to see a little bit more, so I moved down here. That was almost 14 years ago. And, yeah, through kind of fall, you know, fall down a hole, fall your nose kind of thing, ended up finding myself working for Youth for Christ. So. Okay, all right. Well, that's that's very, I learned something about you that I didn't know before. So I grew up in northern Alberta, just across from Fort St. John. Oh, okay. Like in between Fort St. John and Fairview, halfway. Oh. I grew up in the sticks. Okay, yeah. Yeah, totally sticks. Wow. <laughs> that's very interesting. Dawson Creek was the city, and Fort yes, St. John was. was the city. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Um, actually, I grew up a half hour outside of Chetwind, this side of uh, Chetwind, okay. in a small little community called Hasler Flats. There were about okay, maybe yes. 30 people in all. Drive by it all the time. Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about, um, just briefly, about your work for with Youth for Christ? What do you do, uh, like, as, you know, sort of daily? Yeah. Uh, well, Youth for Christ, what we primarily do is we work to provide holistic support to youth, um, at-risk youth, hurting youth, whether it's emotional, mental, physical, or spiritual guidance or help or support, that's what we try to do. Uh, the work that I specifically do is with youth guidance, mm -hmm. and that covers pretty much everything from um, uh, basically like suicide intervention, prevention, uh, preventing sexual exploitation or you know, human trafficking, uh, preventing physical abuse, self-harm uh, reduction, substance abuse reduction, mental health support, anything that's pretty much at the fringe or pretty difficult or hard oh to comprehend, goodness. that's the work that I do. Oh, my goodness. That's pretty so. heavy. I was just thinking, okay, we're doing a Christmas show, but <laughs> <laughs> but but that is actually, it's, it's in a... Like a lot of people have struggled with Christmas, right? Like it's it's a joyous season. We we walk around saying Merry Christmas to people, and yet in their homes, people are hurting. Absolutely. Um, and and what the stuff that you're talking about is some of that stuff. And yeah. Um, how do you? Um, I guess so. I'll. So it, for Youth for Christ and, and for you personally, like mm -hmm. when you're working with youth and you see and Christmas is coming up, like do they have that same? I know for adults, um, there's the adults that, uh, you know, don't enjoy the mm -hmm. Christmas season because it brings back bad memories or whatever. Yeah. Um, now, small children, generally the impression is that they love Christmas. Mm -hmm. And so what about teens? They're sort of in the middle there. No, most of the youth that I know, whether they're at risk or just hurting, they don't like Christmas. Oh. Christmas is not a season that they enjoy. Um, and in essence, for mo most of them, it's a time of great disappointment and disillusionment, and they'd rather it be over oh. as soon as possible. And there's, there's quite a number of uh, reasons for that, but overwhelmingly, the vast majority of the reasons is that Christmas is celebrated as a stereotypical time of family, community, and joy. But for a lot of youth right now, whether they're engaged in at-risk at behaviors or experienced painful traumatic things or just struggling a lot emotionally and mentally, it's, the overwhelming theme is they suffer from what many scholars call a lack of social capital. 
mm-hmm. basically meaning a deficit of investment and mentoring from older peers and adults, helping them learn how to live life and being guides for them. So they do a pretty good job throughout the year of learning how to cope and manage with what they daily are going without. But Christmas is the one time of year which highlights this time of celebration of family and of community. And it's that salt in the wound, reminding them again and again and again of what they do not have, but so desperately, desperately crave. So they hate it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. They don't enjoy it. So what can, um, like, first I'll ask, okay, so what can a parent who's listening, mm-hmm. how can they look, I mean, their teen may appear happy, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so what can a parent do to make sure that their teen, mm-hmm. like, to give their teen the best shot at, at enjoying Christmas? Well, what I would say is, um, if it's all right, I'm going to take a small snippet from Scripture. I'm not being yeah. preachy. If yeah. I, if I no, come across as being preachy, nope. I work for a Christian organization, but <laughs> That's I'm religious, enough. but I'm not contagious. <laughs> but I'm going to use this section here to highlight what I'm going to try and communicate. If we look in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, it recounts the first story or the first uh, detailed account of Jesus being born. And it reveals that the announcement of his coming into the world wasn't given to people who were trying to be good enough or people who were uh, had it all together. It was given to a group of people who were shepherds who were really hurting, at risk, at, and in need people. And it also details a verse for the whole reason for why this was being done, which said, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill to men. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole thing of demonstrating the fact that someone saw their need and did something so they could have peace and no goodwill, not because they were expecting something in return or trying to get something from that person, but because they were trying to let them know, I see what you're going through and I want you to know I'm here and I wish you to have goodwill and peace. Now, where I'm going with that is for many adults, uh, whether we're parents we're teachers, mentors, community members, etc. We view too often, and again, there's a lot of research on this, we view too often youth as not people, but parts they have to play. You see, in, in school, a youth has to be the student. Then when they have after-school curricular activities, they're the athlete, they're the leader, they're this, they're that. There's never a time oh when they're goodness. allowed to be themselves. Yeah. So having the opportunity or communicating to someone, I am in your life as a healthy, positive presence, not to receive something in return or receive an expectation from you or tell you how to do and how to be, but because I see what you're going through and I'm here for you. Wow. That's what I would say for parents is cultivate community with youth. And that's community as an individual to individual. And so I remember mm-hmm. being a young person and being told, I think I was maybe 13, and, and I read in a, I don't know, I think it was English class or something, that um, you grow up, you begin to grow up when you see your parents as humans, mm-hmm. as, as people. Yeah. But perhaps parents, we have that tendency to see children and our youth as youth or as an athlete or as a student yeah. in the same way. Oh, my goodness. All right. It's time for a break. We'll be back. We're talking with Josiah Barton from Youth for Christ. 
School District 57 has work for a Claytley Tenay First Nations artist. The opportunity is for the artist to work directly with the school district to design Indigenous art pieces to be displayed in and around local schools. Work will also include changing logos to Indigenous design. Interested artists can contact the Claytley Tenay Education Officer by emailing education at claytley.ca. That's a call for Claytley Tenay First Nations artists to work directly with School District 57. Deadline for interest submissions is Monday. January 17th. Performance management can be overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. Vantage Point's Board Fundamentals, supporting your executive director, will teach not-for-profits how to set goals, provide feedback, and assess performance so your executive director and organization can flourish. Full details and registration are available through the training link at thevantagepoint.ca. Vantage Point's Board Fundamentals, supporting your executive director, Thursday, February 10th, from 5.30 to 8.30 through thevantagepoint.ca. When Mums the Word hits the stage at Theatre Northwest, you can expect an earful. Written by six women, all of them mothers, Mums the Word features women being asked to describe motherhood. Theatre Northwest is hoping audience members will have the opportunity to share their stories at the end of each performance. Mums the Word is on stage at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Centre from April 14th to May 4th. Tickets for Mums the Word are on sale now at theaternorthwest.com. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with wind up to 15K. A high of minus 16, a wind chill to minus 20 with a risk of frostbite. Partly cloudy tonight, wind up to 15K. A low of minus 23 with a wind chill to minus 32 and a risk of frostbite. For Friday, sunny, wind from the north at 30 gusting to 50. A high of minus 19 with a wind chill to minus 35 and a risk of frostbite. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back with Josiah Barton from Youth for Christ talking about uh, youth, teenagers, and Christmas. So, Josiah, you just mentioned that it's important to, uh, like, for teenagers and, like, for parents and mentors and whoever's around them to... Um, to develop community with them, mm-hmm. to see them as individuals, as people, rather than just a teenager or just yeah. as a, an athlete or whatever, wherever you're interacting with them, but to see them as people. So um, one thing that I remember from a few years ago when Youth for Christ had a conference, because um, I consider myself fairly inept often in relationships, because <laughs> I don't know what my issue is, but I... I wanted to be mm-hmm. able to have conversations with youth without, and I was finding so many of them were just turning away mm-hmm. or not engaging and, you know, just giving me monosyllabic answers. Mm-hmm. And then one of the speakers at this conference said, when you're talking with a youth, uh, to stand, like if they're standing up against the wall, go and stand beside them instead of standing in front of them yeah. to talk face to face. And really, that has made a huge difference. And it felt to me like that was a less threatening. I mean, I don't see myself as threatening, but I, that it see it's worked beautifully mm-hmm. for me. Like it, or it seemed that I, you actually can have a conversation. Then, absolutely. Um, the biggest thing with a lot of youth uh, right now is imagine so much of your life having experienced a time where you're constantly having to give, but very rarely are you receiving anything back unless it's a transactionary kind of uh, activity. So if you do this, you get that. Or if you get this, you then have to do that in return. So imagine having spent years being in a situation where you're not 
accustomed to someone actually stopping and taking an interest in you, not for uh, to receive something in return, but because they notice, are you all right? That is a very intimidating thing. A lot of modern psychology has pointed to the fact that the initial response of animals and people when in an unfamiliar setting is fear. So when a youth experiences this, this is an overwhelming uh, so it's not sensation. that they're just having a bad attitude and they don't want to talk to adults. No. And they're also not used to having respect for their individuality recognized. Oh, my goodness. So imagine you see an adult. You've experienced adults constantly telling you how to be, how to do, always saying never good enough. Now someone stands before you who's an adult. An adult what is your initial response going to be? Go pound sand. Yeah. But then if the adult extends respect to you and approaches you in a very non-threatening way that's a very different experience for me i mean i'm six foot five or pardon me six foot six i have a beard i have long hair i have a deep voice i'm a rather intimidating guy (laughs) and you today you look like a victorian caroler (laughs) one of the biggest things i do to help youth overcome and see me not as a threat but as someone who's just there to talk to is I have a bit of self-deprecating humor. You know, I like the puns, the dad jokes, all this kind of stuff. I do this to be very non-threatening and break the ice because it's on me to break the ice and go to them, not for them to come to me. Hmm. And as adults and as mentors and as community members, that is our task. I have youth who won't, you know, they can be sitting across from me, but they won't talk to me, but they'll text me. Even though they're sitting directly across from me, they'll be texting me. They won't ever look me in the eye. So I could fight them on that, and I would lose it, or I can respond to the way that they are feeling comfortable talking. So I do. I go to where they are. Hmm. I mean, that it's just heartbreaking to think of what you've said so far, and to think of, and I, and I have to say that in my own experience with young people, I, I don't doubt what you're saying. Hmm. And um, about how they feel and about how they feel like they are only ever part of a transactional relationship. Um, And, oh, my goodness, that's that's heavy stuff. But I think if we can take that into the the holidays, I mean, we're here, we're 20 on the 23rd. Mm. Um, So can you give me maybe something um, like, can you give me some examples like, uh, today's the 23rd okay tomorrow's the 24th let's start there yeah. what what could a parent or whoever has is in charge of young people what can they do what is, are some practical things that they can do to begin to build that community one of the most practical things that i do to build community with youth is i take them for coffee mm-hmm. we meet in a public place we go for coffee like a tim hortons a starbucks and Basically, in essence, I try to just get to understand what's going on in their life and to hear what they have to say without making a criticism or a judgment. Mm-hmm. Because as, especially as parents, our default is to correct. Well, I don't know about you, but if I were to try and talk to someone and they were to correct me every time, I would tell them to go pound sand. Yeah. But cultivate, I see your humanity and I... I want to hear more. I want to know more. So take them for coffee and make the effort of asking open-ended questions and hear what they have to say without comment, without criticism. The other one is spend time actually just being with them. Mm -hmm. I spend an hour a week with youth and they call me dad. Hmm. I'm not worthy of that. 
but they call me that simply because I give them an hour a week where I communicate that my interest is in them. There's not really any smoking uh, gun or magic bullet or anything like this. It's just give them your time. Okay, so... You know, here I am. I'm I'm a mom, and I'm thinking, okay, all the things that I have to do before Christmas, and on the 24th, that's my day that I'm getting ready for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I love is getting, um, is is get that prep for the Christmas yeah. meal. So, if someone is listening and saying, I don't have time for to go for coffee with my kid, yeah, and they're going to be sleeping in, and um, and, and they really need some help in the mm-hmm. kitchen or whatever, how can how can you approach that? Well, two things. The first thing would be uh, there's a term often used quite a bit in youth work, which is doing life with someone. Mm-hmm. Yes. So invite them into what you have to do. This past uh, fall, my son is 12. Guess what we were doing? We had to split all the firewood. Son, come join me. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It was hard and he worked hard, but he loved it. Mm-hmm. He loved it. And he said, Daddy, I want to spend more time splitting wood with you. Mm-hmm. So the first one is spend that time with them. Invite them into the work that you're doing. And then don't criticize them all the time. Don't criticize them all the time. Good job. Can I show you something? Ah. You know? So when they do something wrong and you're freaking out. Mentor instead, them. Instead, instead of, of yelling or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> mentor them. Yeah. The other thing I would say is this, and this is the more challenging of the two. What's more important? Getting the turkey done or letting your kid know that you love them? Mm-hmm. Sometimes what we think is most important isn't going to be remembered in two days' time. Yeah. What is going to be remembered is whether your kid, 20 years from now, will recall that you were more focused on the turkey or that you set aside the pressures of the time to communicate to them, I love you, I'm Mm -hmm. interested in you, tell me what's going on, how can I get to know you? Mm. How do you want youth to remember you? So in the crises... You know, the mini crises, I guess, like, let's say somebody forgot to take out the turkey and you've got a frozen turkey on at, you know, nine o'clock on Christmas morning. The story will be instead of having it free, you're freaking out about the turkey. But the story that the time that you didn't have turkey for Christmas because it wasn't thawed. And so you had, you know, chips and salsa instead or something. Absolutely. You want to build memories in 20 years time. How do you want your kids to remember you? As someone who, man, everything at home was so sparkling perfect, but you and I both know that's never the case. Yeah. Or do you want to communicate and have them remember you as the person who viewed them more important? Okay. All right. Well, that brings us uh, to our next break, and we'll be back, and we'll be talking a little bit about Christ in the modern era and the postmodern era. Excellent. Uh, All right. The 2022 BKT and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship is March 19th to 27th at CN Center. Full event, championship weekend, opening weekend, and Monday to Thursday single-day packages are all available for purchase online through curling.ca and at the CN Center box office. All fans, athletes, volunteers, and event staff will need to provide proof of full vaccination. The 2022 BKT and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship, March 
March 19th to 27th at CN Center. Cognitive care kits are available at the Prince George Public Library. Receive information and tips to help stimulate brain activity in people experiencing cognitive decline, such as memory loss and Alzheimer's disease. There are nine kits in total, each unique and tailored to help people with different levels of cognitive decline. Training videos on the use of the kits are available through the library's YouTube channel. Library patrons can borrow cognitive care kits for up to three weeks at a time through your Prince George Public Library. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their online dementia education series. These are small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Take in the workshop, Living Safely with Dementia, on Tuesday, January the 18th from 1.30 to 3. Registration and full details on this and other free sessions are available through alzbc.org. More information is also available through the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. The North Central Seniors Association is taking a one-month break for Christmas, but keep them in mind for weekly activities in the new year. Tai Chi, Scrabble, Pool, Art, and Yoga are just some of the activities available to keep you active. Details are available at ncsapg.bravehost.com. The association follows current provincial guidelines for masks, sanitizing, distancing, and proof of vaccination to keep participants safe and the center open. The North Central Seniors Association activities are on hold through January 9th. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back with Josiah Barton, Youth for Christ. Um, so we've just finished up talking about how parents and mentors and teachers can connect with uh, young people. Mm-hmm. And so just to bring that back to Christmas, and we don't often talk about youth and Christmas mm-hmm. in the same uh, word, uh, sentence. Um and just in this era of where God is very much optional, mm-hmm. um, how do you how do you talk to people about Christ? And I mean, you know, here he was. We're, you know, the the tradition in, in largely in Canada is Christ mm-hmm. born. Um, does it matter today? You know, I think it really does actually. And I think uh, because we live in a postmodern society, that's actually a very good thing. Especially, I think, in regards to. Christmas and Christ. Yes. Uh, because postmodernism is a philosophy where we question foundational uh, assumptions and beliefs we have about existence. And that about, is always a very good thing. Yeah. I, I think it's a very good thing, especially in regards to uh, Christmas and Jesus, because would you rather believe something because you've been told it's true, or would you believe it because you've discovered it to be true and you know it to be good mm-hmm. news? You know, if you ask someone, is a reliable brand name for a vehicle a good name or a good thing to go with, if they've never driven a vehicle like that, they'll perhaps tell you, but they won't have the experience behind it. But a person who has driven it and had good experiences or bad experiences will someone be someone who by their conduct and behavior will communicate truth to you. Now, in regards to Jesus and Christmas, um, it's a fantastic opportunity because you're giving and extending to people the opportunity to discover for themselves, is this true? Is it true that there is peace on earth and goodwill toward men? Is it true that there is someone who sees what you're going through, believes in you, has good for you, and wishes to help you? Not because they can exploit you, but because they see your need. That's an excellent opportunity, and in many ways, similar to what 
our youth are encountering as we just discussed. Mm -hmm. So presenting the idea to give people the opportunity to challenge what they have known and what they have experienced from people who follow Jesus to discover who he really is, as with Luke 8, 20, or pardon me, Luke 2, verses 8 through 20, he showed up and it was to these people who were struggling that this good news was given just so that they could know, may you have peace and goodwill. So, yeah, I mean, the whole, um, like, Christmas is about Emmanuel, God, mm-hmm. which means God with us, right? And and one thing that I understand is a little bit different uh, from uh, Christianity and Christ and other religions is the fact that Christ, who uh, was there at the creation of the world, came down to his cr- creation mm-hmm. and you know, what we celebrate at Easter or remember at Easter is his crucifixion. Um, but he came, he's one of the, like, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but he's one of the, uh, he's among the only God figures who would have, who came to sacrifice his own life so that he could have communion and community with his people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, think of the idea of, you're in a mud pit. Do you want the guy standing outside telling you where to put your hands to climb out, or do you want the person who hops down into the mud pit and says, here, let me help you? Only if they could help me out. Only and if they could help you out. But yes. you would never know that unless you gave them the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about Jesus and Christmas is this is something I do all the time with my youth, whether they're religious or not. And they know I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian guy, and I never force it on them, but I say, if he is true... Don't take my word for it. Find out for yourself if what he says is true. And, uh, you know, I've done volunteer work up at the youth uh, youth jail, youth custody center. And something I've said to a lot of the guys there is, find out for yourself. And the stories of the guys who come back and say, I asked him to show me, do you really have peace for me? Do you really have goodwill? Show me. And guys having dreams, guys having experiences where sentences shortened, guys having experiences where family that they were worried about who wouldn't be able to take care of themselves because they were the one who brought in the income, suddenly being taken care of, or youth that I know who, you know, they've been exploited, they've been abused, they've been suicidal, saying, if you're real, show me this peace and this goodwill and then telling me of the incredible experiences of how they felt suddenly this warmth and this person like hugging them and it's just a loving tender way is incredible and so in regards to postmodernism, i think this is a fantastic opportunity because if it's proclaimed peace on earth goodwill to men and jesus says i see what you're going through and i see what you're enduring i have peace on earth and goodwill for you find out for yourself Take the opportunity because one of two things will happen. Either you find out it's all BS or you find out it's real and there's something fantastic waiting for you. And that would go back then to allowing teenagers to see themselves as, um, or to let them know that you see them as people. Absolutely. And, and for the, for the Christian families, uh, or the, like the church going families, I mean, Christmas this year will look very different because mm. I think our tr- service is being allowed at all. Like uh, in person? Um, from what I understand, again, it changes fairly drastically. Uh, services are being allowed if everyone attending is vaccinated and there is someone checking for vaccination status. Uh, okay. Some churches are doing that. Some are not. Yeah. 
Uh, right. That could be, that is my understanding, but I could be mistaken on yeah. that. Especially in regards to right now, one of the greatest ways of overcoming despondency, mm-hmm. which is focusing on what we don't have, is we see it very clearly in the Bible, which is focus on what you do have. Give okay. thanks. One of the greatest passages I love comes from Jeremiah 32. Okay. And it says, shout out with praise and joy. Save your people, O Lord, the remnant of Israel. Remember what he has done and look with anticipation as you say, Lord, be with us. Okay. All right. Well, that's a great place to end. So Merry Christmas, everyone. And we'll be back next week. Excellent. After Nine is a daily presentation of CFISFN. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio